0: gospel October the 18th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we'll be taking a look at a lesson for this next Sunday, the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. Lessons are from Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 7, and Mark 10. Hebrews 7. The book of Hebrews is very interesting. It has thoughts in it of a theological nature that a lot of times need some explanation. And we find that in Hebrews chapter 7, beginning with verse 23. Right now, the epistle reading is from Hebrews for the last couple of weeks. And the Old Testament and the New Testament gospel are somewhat similar in their thinking, but the book of Hebrews is an ongoing reading. So, verse 23, the former priests were many in number. And then it gives the reason, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is yes, we had many priests during the Old Testament book times, and there were many of them because they died, and therefore they did not continue in office. Verse 24, but he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now, who is the he? It's obvious that it's Jesus Christ. We often talk about the various distinctions of Jesus. He was both divine and human. He was part of the Holy Trinity. He was the Son. There was the Father. There was the Holy Spirit. And we also gotta remember, he had three offices. We call him prophet, priest, and king. These offices came about because in the Old Testament days, God would set up an individual who would be his prophet. Then he had priests who were leading people in worship, saying prayers for them, sacrificing for them. And then he was also kings, like, for example, Saul was a king, David was a king. Well, Jesus takes over those three offices, Uh, particularly when he was on earth. He was the prophet proclaiming the message of salvation. He was priest in that he became the sacrifice for us. And he was king because he was the leader of his disciples and Christians. Now, Jesus has arisen from the dead, and having now been seated at the right hand of God the Father, he continues the offices of prophet, namely, when a preacher is preaching, hopefully he's preaching the word of God, which is the word of Jesus. So Jesus continues to be the prophet, speaking through pastors, Sunday school teachers, parochial school teachers, etc., and parents, as they bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Then he is also our priest, because he prays for us, as we're going to find out here in Hebrews seven and king, he holds the whole world in his hands. So Jesus is supreme prophet, priest, and king. And the writer to the Hebrews says, he holds this office, namely his priesthood, permanently because he continues forever. What does that mean? It means that he never comes to an end. He is eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is a result knowing that Jesus is a priest who never dies and continues in that office. And that consequence is verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save. To the uttermost, those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Now, I'm not sure that we Christians are always aware of the fact how many times the devil wants to get to us. He wants to make us, for example, angry at certain things for which we need not be angry over, but be patient. And therefore, when we get angry in a sinful way, that's really doing the work of the devil. And therefore, it's important that we have a perspective on what God has given us. The many possessions, the many wonderful people around us, because his blessings never end. So, notice it doesn't say that he is able to save those who draw near to God. No, there's two more words. Through him. Who can forget the words of Jesus? You did not choose me. I chose you. You see, this is a sad state of affairs with those growing up in denominations that say the way you save yourself is you make a decision. You make a decision to believe as though an unbeliever would ever make such a decision. If they made such a decision, they would no longer be an unbeliever. But you cannot move yourself from faith, from unbelief to faith, simply by making a decision, because we are born sinful. Instead, as Martin Luther points out in the third article of the Apostles' Creed, it is the Holy Spirit that creates faith in us. And that's why we give all credit to the Trinity for creating us, for redeeming us, and for sanctifying us. So, Jesus is far different than the priests of the Old Testament, all who died. He is an eternal priest. Moving on to verse 26 of Hebrews 7. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Now, that translation, it is fitting. We kind of talked about that word fit in another context. When Adam was created, he named all the animals, and it says, from God's point of view, there was none that was fit for Adam. So God created woman to be with Adam, the man. And even Adam says, finally, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And that's where we understand that it doesn't come about by some kind of evolution from one species to another. But that woman was created from the rib of a man in order to be a fitting partner, not just a helper. Yes, they each help out each other. They each have certain vocations. And in doing those vocations, and I didn't say vacation, vocation from the Latin word vocara, to call. God calls us. For example, I have a number of vocations. I am a son. I am a grandson. I am a father. I am a grandfather. I am a pastor. And there are many others. And as I get involved in each of the vocations i have certain privileges and responsibilities like bringing up the children in the nurture and admonition of the lord and that's the similar for a woman who may have a number of vocations mother and wife and so forth so when it says that jesus became fitting for us, it means that he was the appropriate one to become our Savior. And the writer to the Hebrews in verse 26 indicates some attributes that he was holy, which means he was like Adam and Eve before the fall into sin. He was innocent. That means when he died on the cross, he did not die for his own sins. He died for our sins. He was innocent in the sense that he should not have been crucified, but people so hated him. He was unstained. That is, he was without sin. He was separated from sinners. You see, every one of us, when we are born, conceived, we are born as sinners. And that's why it's so important that we have a baptism. In fact, at the church I was at yesterday, there were two newborn infants in the church. One had been baptized, had been baptized, They were visiting the church, and the other one is to be baptized this coming Saturday. And in fact, the father of the father is a Missouri Synod pastor who will be doing the baptism. So, Jesus is separated from sinners that he did not have natural sin when conceived and born. And he's also separated that he has been exalted above the heavens. Now, what does that mean? It's talking about his ascension to the right hand of God. Now, why is that important to remember? Because as verse 27 says, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily and that's what they did in the old testament times the priests would have sacrifices offered daily and there were all kinds of sacrifices there were animal sacrifices they were grain sacrifices in fact you really knew that you were a sinner because those sacrifices often were conducted in light of the various sins that you did. Therefore, people realized they needed a Savior, and they were looking for the Messiah, the one who would come. In the meantime, they were offering sacrifices daily, first for their own sins, the sins of the priests, and then for those of the people. Now, these sacrifices according to Hebrews, never forgave sins. But they were ways in which the people were recognizing that there will come a sacrifice who will take away our sins. And that's what the rest of verse 27 talks about. Unlike those high priests of the Old Testament books who gave sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Jesus, it says, did this once for all when he offered up himself. Now, that really shows how much love God has for us. Because Jesus offered up himself to become the sacrifice. In fact, as John the Baptizer reminds us, he is the Lamb of God who alone has come to take away the sins of the world. They were not taken away by Adam or by Abraham or by Moses or by David or by Jeremiah or any of the prophets. Instead, they preach the message that we are to preach that our sins have been forgiven. Not because Jesus sacrificed daily, but he did this once for all when he offered up himself. (coughs) Excuse me. Obviously, we're talking about the crucifixion. And verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Remember, Moses was considered to be the one who dealt with the law, the Ten Commandments, and the various ceremonial laws. And becoming a priest was part of that. And they were all weak. They were all sinners but the word of the oath. Now, what does that mean? The word would be Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word would also refer to the oath that God made. What oath are we talking about? His promise that he, would become the Savior of the world. And that occurred in Jesus' humiliation as he humbled himself, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, as a human being. That was that word of oath. And it began with Adam and Eve hearing about it as God spoke to the serpent, the devil, in the Garden of Eden, that this one who would come from the seed of Eve would be one that would crush the head of the devil, even though he would be wounded. That wound, of course, is referring to the cross. The devil, I'm sure, was joyous, when Jesus was being crucified, because the devil does not have foreknowledge, and he did not realize that he was playing into the hands of God by moving individuals to so hate Jesus because of his message that they would put him to death, which was a promise. It says in Psalm 22, even the form of death, pierced in hands and feet. And Isaiah talks about the whippings that he would endure, the pulling out of the beard, being spit in the face. And Jesus himself, to the disciples, he also prophesies details of his crucifixion, which came through clearly, even to the point where soldiers gambled for his clothing. So, this oath was fulfilled in the life, sufferings, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of God. The ending of verse 28, that this oath, this promise, that god came came later than the law see the law was right there in the garden of eden when god says you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because at that point death will be the result and we need to understand that death in the garden of eden did take place because there was a separation of Adam and Eve from God. Remember, they went and hid from God because they were ashamed that they had sinned. That was a death. Jesus refers to the unbelieving Pharisees as the walking dead, because they had no faith. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life very very important he is the way of salvation it's a narrow road he is i am the way the truth when you hear jesus whatever he says is true historically it is factual and that's why we believe the entire bible is what we refer to as inerrant there are no mistakes in it for when the bible speaks it's jesus speaking and the evidence of that of course is on that road to emmaus when jesus went through old testament readings to show the purpose of his crucifixion the reason for his resurrection and that he will continue to be our high priest. So these promises, they came later than the law. But what the promises did is appoint a son who has been made perfect forever. Now, there's no doubt if you look up the word son, Christians are referred to as sons of God. But, when God speaks, He uses the language of human beings, and therefore the word son there, there's two kinds of sons either a begotten son, which comes from the flesh of a mother and father, or an adopted son that's brought into the family. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of the Father, and therefore, none of us are begotten, but in the waters of baptism, we are adopted. We become children of God, and that's why heaven will be our home, because of the oath that God gave, beginning with Adam and Eve. And then through Abraham, remember what he said? Abraham, I know you and your wife are old, but you will have a son. Now, when God said that, he didn't tell Abraham that wouldn't occur for 25 years, but that's how long it took. And Isaac was born, and he was going to be a blessing to many, many people. So, what we have in this Hebrews passage is some wonderful insights about who Jesus is. He wasn't like the former priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he is a permanent priest, because having risen from the dead, he is at the right hand of God the Father. And he will be with us at all times. In fact, I think the best phraseology is found in verse 25. He always lives to make intercession for us, for us who believe in him. The devil, our prosecuting attorney, has been replaced with Jesus, our defense attorney, and he never loses a case. He's always making intercession for those who trust in his promises, and particularly as we share these promises with others. We're going to celebrate that at one of the churches this coming Sunday with the Lutheran Women's Missionary League. That's going to be their Sunday. And we'll talk about how they're sharing the message that the writer to the Hebrews is talking about. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll look at the hymn From God Can Nothing Move Me with Mark Smith. Till then, God bless you.